Welcome to Transparency with Diana B, a podcast from wealthmanagement.com focused on advisors' personal well-being and healing. In this podcast, we explore some of the deepest struggles and hardships that many advisors face and bring these issues out into the open so that others may find healing. Join us for this journey where we explore ways to overcome the stresses and anxieties as Diana draws from years of expertise and guest experts to manage the personal challenges of advisors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Transparency with Diana B, a podcast by wealthmanagement.com. My name is Diana Britton, and I'm the managing editor of wealthmanagement.com. For those of you who are new to the podcast, each episode focuses on a personal development issue facing financial advisors. Guests join me to talk about their own experiences dealing with the struggle and how they overcame that. My guest today is Julie Johnson, who was a former senior vice president at UBS Financial Wealth Management, and she's currently president and CEO of executive coaching and public speaking firm XY Communication. She specializes in speaking and coaching on bridging the gap in communication and strengthening professional relationships and trust between genders and generations. In today's environment, she's sharing her ideas of how, even in this chaotic time, it is the perfect opportunity to be strengthening relationships with your team and clients, and an amazing time to prospect for new business. Um, And so as a former Wirehouse advisor herself, she knows a thing or two about the gender gap in this industry and the stresses associated with being a woman in financial services. Um, so Julie, I know you started out in the business at Smith Barney around 1996, smiling and dialing, as they say. Um, tell us a little bit about the beginning of your career. Uh, I know you were rookie of the year, right? And, um, uh, you know, just doing a lot of good work. Uh, things were going pretty well. Tell me about that time. Great. Thank you so much. And, and yes, I was smiling and dialing and dialing, of course, was we used to have desktop phones. <laughs> Sorry. We that is how we built the business is you would literally we didn't have social media. Um, we certainly, of course, had computers, but we didn't have social media in really in, in any way, shape or form. And um, so it was literally picking up the phone we would make as many as a hundred phone calls a day uh, from the phone book. You know, you would, you would dig through um, leads. They Smith Barney would provide lead lists and, and such, but um, you know, you would do it based on wealthy zip codes and Mm. you would try to get creative about it. um, But there wasn't, there wasn't, the online demographic searching that there is today. So it was a lot of hit and miss. You just, you really had to learn what questions to ask, um, filtering questions, fact finding questions at the very beginning of the call. Um, And you had to have a pretty thick skin because there was a lot of hangups. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But you grew you you were pretty successful at that, right? And you grew pretty pretty fast. You know, I um, I'm the youngest of five kids. I was raised by a wonderful mom and a pretty um, ostentatious and domineering father. Very mm-hmm. social, 
Mm-hmm. So we learned how to, if you will, talk the talk mm. um, from a very young age and get pe- we learned how to get people to talk. You know, as many of us in sales realize and know, um, when you start asking someone about themselves and things that are close to their heart, you can usually get them to start talking to you. And it, it worked a good amount of the time, you know, you, if you are successful in getting one prospect a day, that's incredible. Um, there are certainly days where that was not the case, but, and by prospect, it's someone who has investable assets, um, that is willing to meet with you. So, yes. Yeah. Um, and you, eventually you, you joined up with a male partner, right? That's correct. I um, so about a year for the first year and a half in business, I was on my own. Um, as you stated, I I was very honored to be named Rookie of the Year with Smith Barney, and um, then I was recruited by a, another wealth advisor who was knocking the doors down, doing so extremely well that he needed help. Mm. And, um, he, his, uh, the best service that he provided was he was an amazing person in asset allocation and on the investment side Mm -hmm. and, um, hated cold calling. And so the, the two of us paired up and, uh, it was very successful for quite some time. Yeah. And so what was he like other than that? I mean, he, um, and how did he treat you as a partner? Um, I know you told me he was pretty narcissistic, right? Yeah. So, um, he, and and, you know, we're all products of our environment, right? We're all products of either our families, our parents, how we were raised and he was raised by a very domineering father and a very uh, passive mother. And um, I, I don't believe got a lot of emotional support. Not that, you know, back in the day, he, he is a, I hate to be stereotypical, but a, a prototypical uh, baby boomer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you kind of figure stuff out on your own and, and you just, push through. Um, he was a golf prodigy, so was used to being treated very well, um, at a very young age and being in the limelight. And he didn't think that his, you know, what stuck. So, um, basically he, in his mind, he was doing me a very big favor by allowing me to join his practice. And he reminded me of that often. Mm-hmm. Yet, on the other hand, he was also extremely charming. Um, you know, he was generous in his own way. But yeah, he was, he was, he could be very verbally abusive. And unfortunately, I was raised in a sense where I was kind of used to that. Um, so I allowed it to happen. And I, I didn't have um, the self-confidence and the self-worth to 
tell him to back off and, you know, to stop speaking to me that way. I just kind of went along with it. I, you know, we were doing really well in business, making good money. I kind of assumed that this was probably par for the course. Mm. What were some of the things that he would say to you? Like that? Oh, you know, he bothered you. Yeah, he would talk to me, you know, like I was very sort of secondary, very, um, not very smart. You know, when I would bring up ideas, he would kind of give me a smirk and a chuckle and say, oh, you know, I know you're doing the best you can or um, nice try, but no. And, you know, his consistent mantra, um, even well into, you know, 9-11, uh, 2001 timeframe, 2008, 2009, he would constantly say, Julie, this is business. It's not personal. And needless to say, when you are dealing with people's life savings, and we, we also had a number of institutional clients, you know, pensions, 401ks, uh, family office money, I would tell him, uh, you are wrong. This is absolutely personal. And so he, but he would just roll his eyes and walk away. And um, he never heard me. He never honored my opinion. He never made me feel like um, he valued what I had to say. Mm -hmm. And um, we can get into later, you know, many people listening to this may ask, well, why in the world did you stay with him then? But we can, I don't want to jump ahead to that too soon. We can get into that. Yeah. So I guess what were some of the red flags in the relationship? I mean, obviously some of the things you just mentioned, but like any specific stories or things that you remember that were really just hurtful or. He would um, belittle me in front of clients. He would belittle me in front of other team members and other staff. Um, He never spoke to me with respect in front of other people. Uh, When we would be out with clients, he would basically treat me like I was the secretary. So often our clients thought I was the secretary. Um, (laughs) You know, he would send me to get drinks. He would it just, he, he would never include me in the conversation during client meetings, during, you know, client dinners. He wouldn't include, you know, if the, the woman came, the significant other came, he wouldn't include her either. Um, so it was basically my job to be the person who took care of the wife, kept her entertained and happy while they went off and did quote unquote business. Um, And he would talk about how I looked. He would talk about, you know, um, very inappropriate statements in that nature. Um, You know, say things like, you know, it's a good thing you have a nice rack and stuff like that. I mean, oh, it, it was, yeah, it was pretty horrendous. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, um, you know, we've all, many folks in the industry might remember the term boom, boom room, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, which was described the class action lawsuits challenging sexual hazing and disparities against professional women on Wall Street in the 1990s. And the suit was named after a basement room party, uh, sorry, a basement party room at Smith Barney's branch office in Garden City, New York. And I, I, I know of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it, it sounds like you kind of got caught up in that culture and, you know, I mean, we, we know that those, you know, the sexual harassment, you know, um, sexual, um, uh, there's innuendo disparities. Yeah. They still, they still persist in this industry. They do. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I mean, did he, um, I know that you said one time you were on maternity leave and the firm, you guys were transitioning to another firm and he made the headquarters for the transition at your house. Yeah. Right. Um, Tell me about that. I mean, that just sounds outrageous to me. (laughs) You know, I, I absolutely love, and I am a champion of, um, life work balance (laughs) or work life balance Mm -hmm. because when I was working from 96 until I finally left in 2010, we were working all the time. And if I wasn't at work and working all the time, I got shit for it. Mm -hmm. And eventually I got so I, I just, I became codependent and he was a total narcissist. I became codependent and I own that. I, I recognize that now, but I was only as happy as my clients were. I was only as happy as he was. I was only as happy as I thought every, you know, I was always taking care of everyone else, even to the sacrifice of, you know, my marriage And, um, I had a uh, daughter in 2004 and a son in 2007. And, um, when I was on maternity leave, we were in the process of moving our practice from Smith Barney to UBS. And, um, at that point in time, we had approximately $1.2 billion under management. Needless to say, several clients, um, there were four partners. I was the only female partner and, um, we had a team of 12 and everyone it, without even asking me or my husband, now ex-husband, um, my partner basically said, Oh, I have a great idea. Let's use Julie's house as, you know, ground central for moving and, you know, all of the documents, all of the, you know, phone calls that we need to make uh, during the transition, et cetera. That's a perfect idea. And I looked at him and I'm like, um, okay, I have a, I'm going to have a brand new baby with me. And for those parents, uh, you know, when you have a brand new baby, you never sleep. You're totally on edge for a woman. Your hormones are all over the place. But I didn't have a, I, I could have had a choice in the matter. I didn't fight hard enough to have a choice in the matter. Um, I asked him, all right, are you going to get me a nanny to be able to help with my child during this? 
And he said, oh, you know, you'll be fine. We'll figure it out. You'll be fine. You know, basically suck it up. And um, it just was, I mean, I was on the phone constantly talking to clients and, and I have to admit so much of this occurred because I allowed it to. And um, there, there's a lot of reasons he helped my family, not just my immediate family, but my extended family. He was a family friend mm-hmm. uh, and helped my family in a number of different ways. Um, and so I felt that there was no way that I could potentially sacrifice this partnership by letting people know what was going on and by leaving the partnership because I just felt like that was going to screw everyone else up also. Yeah. And and you were also slated to uh, take over the practice, right? right? That was the really the main, so the, the familial, relationship was reason number one. Reason number two was I was the heir apparent of the practice to take over as soon as the transition was done in 2008. Mm. So I figured, okay, he's going to be gone. I had a fabulous team of people that I had built. We were all had a great um, symbiotic culture. We had great clients. We were ready to go. And I felt this eventual weight lifting off my shoulders and this, you know, the nausea, constant nausea in my stomach starting to go away um, as we approached this transition. And then, of course, March of 2008 hit and all bets were off. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we all know I yeah, not only so I had, you know, two little kids at home, hormones all over the place, so much stress at work. And the clients, which were the most important to me, you know, were heartbroken, scared to death. My partner was no help whatsoever. He was like, that's, you know, his constant mantra was, Julie, this is business. And I'm the one who is listening to clients calling, freaking out, crying, you know, being very upset, very angry. And um, no one else was there to help me take their calls. Mm -hmm. And so it just was, it was a time like I can't even describe. I mean, it was... Um, you know, looking back on it makes me feel so incredibly sick to my stomach, even to this day. Um, and the other thing too, is I had nothing in my contract. I had no clause in my contract, uh, as far as me taking over the business Mm. that prepared, excuse me, sorry about that. I had no clause in my contract that covered for such an event. Mm. So my income did not increase. My income didn't change. He stayed, um, which, you know, was appropriate. He needed to stay. But basically my 
that's kind of when everything started falling apart. Um, my dad died in 2008. Mm, um, my, that business partner ended up going to Betty Ford in 2008. He was a very highly functioning alcoholic, mm. which, uh, I had, I had suspected, but didn't know. Um, sure. I mean, everything, you know, just everything around me was falling apart. And that's when my health started severely falling apart. Yeah. So what kind of toll did all this take on your health? Um, yeah, pretty severe. Um, I had, I would pass out. Um, my heart stopped working. Um, I was a, I was a runner and an athlete and, um, but my heart rate, uh, was beating in the fifties and then the forties and then the thirties, my blood pressure was really low. Mm. Um, I was getting migraines, um, just dizzy all the time. I honestly, at times was having a hard time articulating my words and no, I went to Mayo NIH, um, but the best doctors I could see and no one could figure out what was wrong other than that it was stress induced. Mm. And, um, so I, you know, of course, as we do, we push through, we can do it, we can do it. You know, I can make it, this is all going to be fine. It's going to be, you know, I I'll get through it. Um, and finally in 2010, um, I'll never forget sitting in my office. Uh, I get a call from my neurologist and she said, Julie, I've consulted with the cardiologist and we both agree that you must leave and go out on disability. Mm. And I, I literally remember laughing at her, mm. you know, that wasn't in the plan. <laughs> I right. had a plan. I had a life plan and that was not part of it. And, um, but after, you know, literally more times than I could count passing out in the office, passing out at home, thank goodness, never in front of my kids. I never hurt myself or anybody else. Thank God. But I finally had to go out on disability and, uh, talk about an identity crisis. I, I absolutely lost who I was. Mm. And unfortunately, it was a disease that nobody could put a name to. And being an A-type person, you know, I, I rely on science. I rely on math. Mm -hmm. and no one could figure out what this was. And so not having an answer, not having control, not having any kind of knowledge of my prognosis or what was going to happen in both my work life, my personal life, my physical life was something that I've never experienced before. Yeah. Sometimes that can be the most frustrating part of it all, Absolutely. not knowing what it is. You're it's very lonely and very scary. Um, you know, and it took a huge toll on my marriage. I even had family members that didn't necessarily understand or, or support what was going on. What's very, very hard in a disease like this is you still look normal. 
Right. And so even though you look normal, your body internally is falling apart. And, um, you know, so trying to get disability was a challenge. And, and so you really start to doubt yourself. I mean, I had, I had wavering self-esteem prior to all of that. And then my business partner slowly, but surely, um, you know, cut layers off of that over the years. And then when I had business people and health, you know, doctors and whatnot, basically saying, Julie, we don't see what's wrong with you. I'm like, okay, we'll explain why my heart doesn't beat anymore. I explain why my blood pressure doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Mm. So it was really, it was an extraordinarily, extraordinarily challenging time. So you eventually decided to get out of the business. Not by choice. Um, Mm. (laughs) Ironically, you know, so that what's the definition of insanity, trying to do the same thing time and time again, expecting a different result in 2012. So I left UBS and the partnership in 2010 Um, And then in 2012, had an opportunity to go back, work with a different team of people, a wonderful team of people, went in uh, to the boardroom, sat down to sign all the contracts and paperwork, and I literally had a panic attack. And that was needless to say, my body's way of saying, you are not going to do this again. Mm. And then I really had a low because I'm like, okay, if I can't be a financial advisor, that was what I wanted to do my entire life. If I can't do that, what the heck do I do next? Yeah. And um, I left and uh, I had quite a period of depression. Mm. Uh, No one really knew how to help me. I didn't really know how to help me. You know, of course, went to therapy and everything else, but felt just very defeated, very lost. You know, I uh, to be totally honest, I'm very thankful I have children because they were the ones that kept me going. Mm. And um, then I, about a year later, I had an amazing opportunity to meet um, author and renowned speaker, Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. And she changed my life. You know, I, I went and got certified in her programs, read and studied all of her work and realized that that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be the voice for people such as myself who didn't have anybody to talk to, who didn't have anybody to make them help them feel worthy help them feel that they did have the power to say no. They did have the power to stand up for themselves. They didn't have to deal with the crap for years and to have the strength to leave. Yeah. And um, even, even under the worth, you know, the most, it was like a spider web, all of the things that he was involved in, in my life that, you know, that's, I didn't feel like I could get out of that. And especially then also the opportunity of taking over this business that I had helped build for, you know, a decade and a half um, to have all of that just gone. 
And um, man, hindsight is 2020 and then some, but you know, there's so many things I get angry because there's so many things that I, if I had the opportunity to go back, knowing what I know now, I would do it so differently. But obviously you have to go through the hell to learn what I learned. And um, I absolutely love what I do now. And it's, I've grown it from not just empowering women to also, I, I have delved into um, really doing the best I can to understand the drivers and the communication styles of women and men, how they are different and how we can bridge them to um, really build stronger, more respectful, mutual respectful relationships. And then over the years, I also found that there was a huge disconnect uh, between older and younger generations mm-hmm. in the workplace, how they communicate with one another, um, a very large disparity in their level of respect um, and understanding one another. And so that's how I've grown my business now and I, I through amazing people that I've met, um, both in my previous financial career and um, in the last few years, amazing support, amazing opportunities. I got to speak at the Barons National Conference uh, just last month, mm-hmm. and um, unfortunately, with the coronavirus, a lot of speaking opportunities and engagements have been put on hold understandably, but, um, I tell you, it is, it warms my heart and gives me goosebumps every single day to be able to help others, um, maybe have paradigm shifts and see things that might bring them, you know, fear in the midst of chaos and, um, do what I can to be, a different set of eyes for them to see it potentially a different way that can help them get to the other side and communicate um, more appropriately, ask for what they want more appropriately, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, it seems like your experience has really shaped who you are today and what you're doing. Um, what were some of the, I mean, I know you've come a long way and, and, uh, gone through a lot. What got you through all of those hard times? What are some of the philosophies now that you, you know, keep you going and have have made you uh, get through the the hard stuff? Sure. So on my um, about page on my website, XY Communication, I write the story, um, and I titled it "The Body Always Wins." Mm. So. I urge people to not power through, to listen to what's going on for them and to get whatever help they need, no matter, and, and to have to, you have to constantly advocate for yourself. Even when you have amazing friends and family, you have to advocate for yourself because as much as we hope that the medical professionals will have the answers, they don't always. And so a lot of times you have to do your own digging. And when you know something's wrong, don't just live with it. 
you know, do everything that you can to figure it out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, secondly, I, I, I write about, and I'm, a, I'm aging myself, but for people, you know, that were around in the seventies and eighties, there's an Anjali commercial. It's a perfume. Anjali was a perfume. And, um, I remember growing up watching this perfume commercial, wanting to be the main, the woman who was the main character where she would come home and there's this, you know, sassy, great song in the background. And um, this woman, beautiful woman comes home. She's in a great business suit. She has her hair all done. She throws her briefcase on the couch. She pulls her hairpin out of her hair you know, shakes out her perfectly quaffed hair, mm. starts uh, without missing a beat, starts cooking dinner. And then her, you know, Ken doll of a husband walks in the door with flowers, gives her a kiss. You know, it's like she has everything, right? <laughs> and I tell you, it's very, very true that having everything comes at a price. Mm. And so perfectionism is has got to be let go. We have to give ourselves permission um, to just do the best we can. And we have to find the people both at work and in our personal lives that support whatever level that is. There's not a right or a wrong. It's just different. Mm -hmm. And so we have to find out who we are and what we need. And find our village, you know, mm -hmm. find the people that support us at work, find the people that support us at home. And then we're able to just know and have a confidence and feel empowered and heard and respected. And that is something that I didn't have for a very long time and it's a must. I mean, it, it, when you when you feel so small and so disrespected for so many years, it literally has a physical, a very real physical effect. Yeah. And we have to give ourselves permission to say no and to get help. Yeah, that's that's great advice. I think it's it's often hard to do that, but it's. Very you know, hearing you say that, I think will carry a lot of weight with folks listening. Well, we're just about out of time. I'd like to thank my guest, Julie Johnson. Julie, thank you so much for sharing your story and just being so open about these issues. Thank you. And if you'd like to reach out to Julie for coaching or speaking opportunities or just to talk, she's available. You can call her or text her at 303 726-8976, or you can email her at julie at xycommunication.com. And if you have a struggle and you wish to share your experiences and help others in similar situations, please feel free to reach out to me at transparencywithdianab at gmail.com. I'd like to thank you for listening to Transparency with Diana B. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This is Diana Britton reminding you that where there is healing, there is hope. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Transparency with Diana B podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. 
The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of wealthmanagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice. Always seek the advice of your healthcare provider with any questions you have regarding your particular situation.